Welcome to the Evolve to Succeed podcast. I am Warren Munson, the host of the podcast, where founders, entrepreneurs, business leaders and experts from a variety of sectors are interviewed to explore the link between personal and business success. In line with Evolve's principles, we also look at the importance of personal development, accountability and collaborative support in the pursuit of meaningful success. Through the insights of our guests, as well as my own business journey, the aim is to inspire you, the listener, to become better in life and in business. Welcome to this week's episode. My guest this week is Simon Kaysen, Director of Ouch Training Team, which provides behaviour-based health, safety, well-being, and business training. I recently had the privilege of attending Simon's Mental Health First Aid course with Dorset Chamber and found it hugely insightful and beneficial. Simon has a great interest in ethics, principles and values from both an organisational and personal perspective. He recently wrote an article about the potential that the Covid crisis has given us to reassess and realign our values as we slowly begin to return to some sense of normality. I've been meaning to invite Simon onto the show for a while now and it was this article as well as my experience on his training program that finally moved me to do so. As someone who always tries to subscribe to solid values whether in life or business, I was interested to sit down with Simon and have a good conversation about the subject and hear more about his philosophies behind the complex ideas of morals and ethics. So in this podcast, Steve talks to us about the effects remote working has had on an organisation's culture. When people are working apart from each other, the culture of the organisation is less evident. Ponders to what extent COVID will alter our long-term behaviour. I think some people may have considered their lives and realigned things that they think are important. But I also think that a large number of people who may have done that will experience pressures and challenges which will mean that they'll carry out behaviours that are different than those values. And explains why simply knowing yourself is probably the most important component in identifying and maintaining personal values. Otherwise I'm just being, what am I? I have no identity. Identity will change based on circumstances or based on values which has to be are just, are just instrumental. If you want to know more about Evolve and the services that we offer, then please go to evolvemembers.com. But for now, let's get on with the show. Welcome, Simon, to the Evolve to Succeed podcast. Uh, uh, thank you very much for, for inviting me, Warren. It's, uh, yeah, brilliant. It's going to be uh, it's going to be amazing. That's what it's going to be. It is. We're going to have a great conversation about ethical realignment, mental health, first aid training, and all such things as well-being. But I, before we do that, obviously, you are a business owner, business leader in your own right. So tell us a little bit about Ouch Training and where did where did the business come from? How long have you been training, Simon? Maybe, uh, I think we're in our 21st year now, uh, so June, July, something like that. Um, and originally, we started... Um, delivering first aid training when I was in the fire service and um, okay. and, and we started doing it for uh, for people who were homeless, working with the big life company as it was called then. And um, um, yeah, and um, I came across a guy once and he'd, um, 
um, he was unconscious and not breathing, and there were some of his pals nearby, and they just didn't know what to do. So I thought, I thought we're doing this wrong here with this first aid business. We're teaching the wrong people. We need to teach people who are more vulnerable, and um, and that's what we started to do. You know, we started um, initially, like I say, working with a big life company, a big issue, uh, and um, yeah, and we we used it. We we thought of the name out because we thought it was less. Um, I don't know, less official, less sort of scary. Or, it is know, a great but... name. <laughs> and what yeah, did you so... learn from, from sort of delivering that first day training to those with the need rather than perhaps the managers or people in organisations? I mean, there must have been a complete difference, wasn't there? Well, I, I wasn't. T- the only first aid that I was teaching was on the watch, you know, on the fire station. Yeah. I wasn't teaching this to anybody else or anything, you know. So I didn't yeah. really... I, I, at the time, I didn't have a comparison, you know. I just yeah. thought, you know what? I think a lot of the things that we do, we should question them and say, well, why are we doing this? We're, we're, you know, we're, 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 why are we teaching people who are safe how to be safe? Shouldn't we be teaching people who are unsafe how to be safe? Um, you know, and it, I don't know. It just sort of didn't make sense to me at the time. Um Obviously, there are lots of workplaces where people do dangerous things, and first aid is really important. Of course, it is. Mm. Not saying it isn't. Um, yeah, but um, I, in in my mindset, I, I thought the people who we were delivering training to then uh, were vulnerable, and they definitely needed um, some kind of core skills to help themselves and their and their pals, you know, their people or their friends or whoever, you know. Brilliant. So at the time, this was you in the fire service in Manchester running courses effectively part time between your shift pattern. Is that? Yeah. Yeah. So we did. Yeah, yeah, that's how it started. Yeah. And um, and then people, you know, said, oh, can you do this for us and do that for us and and all that? And I have quite a background in training. I was a PE teacher, an assistant PE teacher in the army. So I was always. Um, I was always interested in trying to get people to do things in a different way. So if you think of physical exercise for some people, I mean, it can be painful, can't it? And pushing yourself and, you know, it's hard work, isn't it? So if you could kind of do it in a way that was perhaps a bit more fun or a bit more, you know, focusing on something other than just the discomfort. um, (laughs) And, you know, and we, um, you know, we started doing things like that really. And um, I don't know, I've always, um, try to sort of approach things um, in that sort of way, really. And, you know, and uh, we try and do that with our health and safety. Brilliant. So when did the business therefore transcend to your sort of full-time occupation? You know, what was there a light switch moment that you thought, right, time to leave the fire service? Yeah, I left the fire service. I was involved in an accident and, um, and you know, I started to become unwell. I started to develop flashbacks and things like that. And, um and he had some physical things as well, so it made it hard to be in the fire service. So, um, so yeah, so uh, so then I had to do something else, and um, I thought, yeah, let's do it. Let's do some training. You know, let's uh, let's do that. I mean, it wasn't quite as quite as a light bulb moment. Oh, I'll do that. You know, it sort of evolved yeah. a bit all the time. You know, so so there you go. Um, so yeah, and we've been doing it a long time now. 21 years that's great i mean to be in business 21 years that's a definite pat on the back isn't it you know it's a hard journey at times being in business it's not a smooth kind of journey is it there's you know the bumps in the road and the challenges that you i'm sure you've overcome in that time would have been immense 
We have. We've had lots of changes along the way, just as everyone else in business. But do you know what? We've always gone back to who we are. Hmm. And we're an organisation who's looking to provide products that help people stay safe and healthy. Now, I, I'm quite pleased with that. I think that's all right. You know, we're quite proud. We've trained um, maybe about 80,000 people now over that time, you know, and some people more than once, you know, it's not just like yeah. once and you can't come back, you know, um, some people more than once in different ways. Um, yeah. So, and I've always had um, an interest in, um, in critical thinking and philosophy, psychology. I've always been interested in those things. Uh, but I, over the last, I don't know, five to 10 years, I've, I've taken it to a new level of study, studying both philosophy and psychology at university because I'm, I'm really unconscious. I don't like to give an opinion unless it's an informed one. Or if it isn't informed, I'll say, well, I don't really know what I'm doing, but I think this, you know. Um, so I think a better understanding of what I don't know is quite a good thing that I've learned from all my studies. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, I'd have to live 100, 100 lifetimes to get anywhere near understanding what I'd like to know. <laughs> Wouldn't we all? But but you clearly got that growth mindset and that kind of life learner kind of approach to life and business. I have, yeah, and that's where uh, understanding what you're doing and why you're doing it is really important to me. So um, I, I was thinking about this the, um, yesterday, actually, and I was remembering it. I remember um, I'm, I'm normally a bit of a swat. I do all right at exams and things, you know. I mean, I'm not, like, the best, you know, but I'm all right, you know. And um, I got a, uh, a result from an essay that was the lowest score I'd ever got, and it was like, oh, my goodness, you know. Um, and then my initial response was, why that blinking tutor, he's rubbish. And, you know, that was like the first five seconds, 10 seconds. And then it was, wow, what an excellent opportunity here. I'm obviously doing something wrong. And what I want to do is learn. So I'm going to go back to the tutor and say, thank you for, you know, from let me realize that I'm not getting it right. What can I do to improve? And the moment I, I flipped my mind, all the angst, all the disappointment, all the, oh, no, that's what they, it all went. Because I realised what I was trying to achieve, which was to obtain knowledge and information and skills. And and being told I, was, I wasn't as good as I thought I was, was a really good thing. Yeah. Great, great philosophy on life, actually, there. One of the reasons that, well, there's two reasons, really. I um, got you on the podcast because I think you've got some really good principles to offer to our listeners, is that, recently completed the mental health first aid course that you did for Dorset Chamber and their uh, GU6 program, which is great. I love the um, course, learned loads from the course and um, yeah, something that will stay with me forever and, and, and couldn't recommend it enough as a, you know, course to do. Um, but you also wrote a recent article on ethical realignment, um, which I think is a really interesting term in itself. So, what do you mean by ethical realignment within a business or an organisation? Well, I mean, obviously all businesses have, have had different circumstances with the COVID situation. I get that. Um, but if we have a situation where people are experiencing different challenges and different pressures and, and perhaps instead of working in the same office or the same factory or whatever, um, then our behaviour it tends to be modified by the group which we're in. And I think we would all reasonably, you know, absolutely agree with uh, that. Understand that. And sometimes we do things 
um, which are unethical or perhaps not great because we can get away with it. And if we're working from home, I've noticed, for example, I've noticed the amount of people who are eating whilst you're having a meeting and you think, well, if this was face to face, it would never happen. Mm. So, so our standards have changed and they change because they can change. So when people are working apart from each other, the culture of the organization is less evident. Mm. And then we make up our own culture. We make up our own ways of normal, what is and what isn't acceptable. It may be people who've gone to work and then um, have spent all day sat in their pajamas. Well, they wouldn't do that back at the office, would they? Um, so, yeah. yeah. So, I, I mean, they're, ju they're just uh, examples. Um, what do we know? We know that the further away people are from the outcome of their decision, the less, um, oh, well, so, so if I make a decision for somebody who I don't see, that decision, whether it could or could harm them or be appropriate or not, is less influenced by the fact that I'm nowhere near them. So our empathy reduces when we are away from people, right? Especially if it's put under um, put under some kind of pressure. A great example of that is: Have you ever heard of a thing called the trolley problem? No, I haven't. Okay, I'll try it. I'll, I'll try and explain it. So it's a thought experiment, and it works like this. There's a trolley, uh, which is a train, chugging down the track. And this train is going to hit five workers on the track. Okay, You're stood at the side, and you can see what's going to happen. There's no point shouting, oh, get out of the way, or there's no point doing that, because that just won't work. But there's some points, and if you pull the points, it diverts the train onto another trap where there's one worker working and that worker will die. But if you pull the, the, the lever, what happens there is five people don't die and one does. Would you do it? So I'll ask that question to you, Warren. Would you pull the lever? Oh God, that is, that's a dilemma and a half. I, I have to answer, yes, I think I would save five lives to sacrifice one. Okay, so no, that's I, our starting. Yeah, yeah, that's our starting point. Yeah, and and I mean that would be a utilitarian approach to ethics, something that's greater good for more people. Yeah. Right? So now let's think of another way of doing this. Then, so let's imagine there's a bridge over the over the uh, train track, and you're stood next to a, a big chap. Um, you know, one of these big strapping chaps, which I'm not. One of these enormous fellas, <laughs> and if you push him off. OK, um, he can land on the tracks and the, the train will he will die, unfortunately. Um, but the train will be stopped and the five and the one will be saved. Would you go up to him and push him off? It's, well, it, it's, when you think about it, you'd do it. The answer is no, because I physically just couldn't do that. But it's the answer is the same, because if I'm prepared to do the move the points, then we're prepared to push someone. It's the same response, really, isn't it? But And that's a standard say, response. Yeah. yeah. So people will make decisions when they're further away. Yeah. And then not at the outcome of their decisions. But when you've actually stood next to somebody and you're going to do something, we are less likely to make decisions that could harm people. Less comfortable with that. And and, and that is, you know, um, 
that can be extrapolated in other circumstances, you know? And, you know, it's been looked at as a thought experiment. Neuroscientists have seen yeah. what happens differently in the brain when people are making these decisions. And, and yeah, the closer we are to the outcomes of our decision, uh, the proximity to other people and the outcomes, the less likely we are to carry out negative behaviours or right. what we would think would be unethical or immoral behaviours. So, so while we've had distant working, working from home, we're into that scenario, aren't we? And therefore, when we start to bring people back into the workplace, that's where the ethical realignment comes, Simon. So we've got to remind each other, who are we? What do we, what do we value? Why are we here? What are we doing? You know, we've got people who, who've, who've um, been working uh, from home who've never met any of their colleagues. So we, we need to think about culture here. What makes culture? What culture will tell us whether this is acceptable or that's acceptable. But who makes it? Everybody makes it. Yeah, well, good well, culture everybody... comes, comes from having a kind of distinct purpose, doesn't it? And then that purpose being communicated well in an organisation and everybody believing it and understanding it. But culture comes from the organisation itself. You can influence it as a business owner and leader, in my opinion, but you can't impose it, can you? No, I think you can. The word I use is facilitate it. Lovely you word. Can, you, you can give people time to do this or, or you can make spaces where people could get together or you could, you know, re reaffirm the, uh, the, um, the beliefs that you've got of how you believe your business should operate. You can try and do that, but ultimately the people may or may not reject them. Um, yeah. You can't make anybody value it something if you don't if you want even if you try really hard you can't do it isn't that isn't that the enron scenario where they had all these lovely values that were corporate values plastered all over the walls in probably their meeting rooms and every conference started what their values were but the people who were within it didn't align to it didn't believe in it the, the entity itself didn't represent those values and therefore it was a fallacy isn't that mean can't I agree with you yeah, yeah. I, th I think sometimes as a, as a leader, you know, I mean, I, I, I'm always a bit curious about that phrase. But anyway, um, as a, in, in, a in a leadership position, so let's say like that. OK, I think sometimes we believe we're more influential than we are. Because it suits a paradigm of being a leader. Hmm. I'm not saying we're not influential. I'm not saying that we can't um, that we can't create workplaces and. And, um, or we can't contribute to creating workplaces. I'm not saying that at all. I'm not saying we're pointless. Definitely not. But walking into a room and telling everyone that this is important doesn't mean it's important. Mm. It just doesn't. Um, we can have inspirational leaders, and there are many out there, and the people will look up to them and go, do you know what, the, the boss this, you know, and whoa, yeah, yeah, that's brilliant. That's really good. But when push comes to shove, when they're under pressure to meet a deadline or when this is under pressure, that's when we really want people to make decisions in line with whatever it is we believe we value. Mm. And I also think we misunderstand values. We think, take for example, money. Many people, myself included, to a certain degree, value money. But we don't really understand why we value it. Because money is, has purely what we call instrumental value. It has no value in and of itself. I could have 
don't know, piles of, I don't know, pound notes. We don't even have pound notes anymore, do we? Whatever we have nowadays. Pound coins. I could have, I could have a 20 million pounds there. Look at that. Brilliant. It has no value other than what I do with it. So money itself has no real value, only value, which gives me the opportunity to do the things that I really value, whatever that might be. Look after my family, invest or, you know, go on holiday, things that have actual value in and of themselves. And actually finding out what are, um, and there's different words for this, and, um, and two common ones are final values or intrinsic values. Um, in a business world, they tend to use intrinsic values, I think. So recognizing what is intrinsically valuable to the business and how to go about working so that we live up to those values is something that if everybody understands, it creates a safe space, a, a, collective, um, um, a collective source of consistency, um, and I can make a decision as long as it's in line with those values that I know that everyone else will go, yeah, that's who we are. Yeah. That's what we value. And that level of security of that sort of backup, that you can make decisions that can be challenging, but as long as you can show and you know, you've considered them in line with what your organization has agreed to value, it provides great psychological, they call it psychological safety. Real, it's like a safety net. And how would you go about, you know, this ethical realignment, this setting of values, um, and organizational values? How would you go about setting a, up that kind of exercise? Because typically, what I fear is people go through that kind of exercise and they just come up with the same old, same old words, you know, honesty, integrity. We could spout them all, couldn't we? There's probably four or five that everybody uses and they're identical. And they mean, truly, in a lot of organizations, they mean nothing. They're just the words people think they should use. So how would you set uh, values in an organization? I would ask everybody what they value. Uh, I, I mean, that would be a bit open. You know, you could end up with goodness knows what there, you know. Um, I also remember a story my dad told me when he, he you know, he, his first wages, it shows, you know, he was working at 14. When he first started working, he said um, he was still a kid, really. And he got his first wage packet and he spent spent it almost all of it on banana lollies. So at the time he valued banana lollies, you know. Sorry, that was a bit off on a bit of a tangent. So <laughs> how would I go about it? Well, what I'd do is I would start off with kind of 10, 12 things, you know, that are um, um which we could see as being they call it an objective list. So a starting point. And then I'd say to the groups, and obviously that depends on how you do this, it's depending on the, how your business is. You know, I mean, are we 1,000 people? Are we 10,000? Are we three? It, it doesn't matter. The process is the same. If we start from these 12 things, what do we think um, are five most important? And you choose five, and John chooses five, and Julie chooses five. And we end up with three that everybody agrees on. Well, we know that they are definitely core values, don't we? Mm. Yeah. Because yeah. three of us, three of the group have said, do you know what, those ones. And then we've had two who've said another one and two have said another one. Well, there's our five. There's our six, whatever number you decide you want to, go, want to do. And then what we need to say is, well, okay, if these are our values, 
what sort of attitudes and behaviours would we need to carry out that would demonstrate those values? So if you think of a value as something which is good in and of itself, and then you think of, so that's an intrinsic value, and then you think of something which is an instrumental value, i.e. behaviours, okay, and then we think about, well, okay, well, when a customer wants to buy our product, how can we, how do we interact with them in line with these values? And then we, we look at, you know, the behaviours, the attitudes, the things that we've said, um, you know, and, um, and then we, we think it through. And we say, well, what does that look like for us in whatever we do, whether we work in a warehouse or a, a finance business or, you know, whatever. And then what happens is when the person's on their own and they take the phone call or they think, right, I've got to make a decision, they can go back to those values because they practiced it. Mm -hmm. They know what it is. It's similar, but not exactly the same to this idea that Aristotle and Plato and back in ancient Greece, where they had what's called virtue ethics. So if a person, there was, there were examples of virtuous things. So, Courage, yeah. Okay, yeah. so um, was an example. Humility is another example of, that you find in virtue ethics. And what Aristotle said is, he said, well, and others, they said, well, if you have these virtues and you live your life according to these virtues, what will come out the other side is virtuous behavior, is appropriate behavior. And if everybody in society lives to these virtues, society will be virtuous. So it's a kind of similar way to that. It is, isn't it? It's the same concept in an organisational level. Um, I suppose you coming back to the world in which we're living and this kind of COVID crisis and the recovery and the, hopefully the transformation now we're coming out the other side, a lot of people and individuals are thinking of it as this kind of great reset moment and thinking of resetting about the way they think, they work, they live, maybe the things they do value and are important to them. What's your view? Do you think the lessons and values we have learned during this pe period will quickly dissipate, disappear, be forgotten? Or do you think there's going to be a period now that actually there'll be some lasting changes as a result of this. Quite a philosophical question, I suppose. So are we talking about a change in values or about ch uh, a change in behaviours? Because they're different. Change in behaviours, I would suggest. Okay. So, um, well, if we start off from, from a point and we say, does what we believe to be good affect our behaviour? I don't know. I'm asking you, Warren. Does it? Yes. Okay. It definitely influences it. But would you say that if you believed it's it's a positive, a good thing is to be kind, have you ever been unkind? Yes. Right. So I think we need to understand there's a gap here mm. between what we value and how we behave. And there'll be different things that will influence that. So you were talking about mental health before. When a person is feeling overwhelmed, i.e. highly stressed, if we just, you know, simplify it in that way, we are less able to empathise with others. Because 
we're overwhelmed. Our brain is overwhelmed. And um, empathy is a precognitive response. It's before thought. If we find, and this is one of the things that I'm worried about, is that we spent such a, lo a long time apart from each other, we've formed what we call outgroups. Mm. And we're actually, um, and because we're not in the same group, so we've got these outgroups, um, because we're not spending time with each other and and um, and thinking about each other like, oh, I'll just see if Warren wants a coffee. You know, we don't do that now because we're not in the same building and everything. Um, so what happens is a chap called David Eagleman, a neuroscientist, has done lots of research into this. And what he's found is, is that when we start to use terminology or when we spend time away from others and we don't recognize ourselves as being part of that group, we lose empathy. And we don't even know it, we've done it. We don't know that we're not empathetic. So there are people out there who say that you can make, I can make you empathetic. I can't, it's not true. And that's not my, I'm, I'm not a neuroscientist. I just read the people who do it, you know, and go blinking out. That's, that's interesting, you know. Um, so just to get back to the point then. So, okay, so do I think our values have changed? I think some people may have considered their lives and realign things that they think are important. But I also think that a large number of people who may have done that will experience pressures and challenges, which will mean that they'll carry out behaviors that are different than those values, that, that, that don't support those values. And I can't say how many people, to what extent, I can't do that. And how long people you know, revert back to the norm because of pressure or just, because that's their normal state and they think they're feeling different now, but ultimately, you know, they are what they are and they are who they are. When, we're, when we've got influences that are really difficult to, you know, resist, um, yeah, I mean, one thing I know is uh, I struggle to change my own behaviour and, and to carry out, you know, I value being super fit, but sometimes I just can't be bothered. It's raining. I've got United on the telly, you know. Can't be bothered, um, I, I, and I don't know. I don't think I'm 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 on my own with that. No, definitely so, not. But I don't know if you've ever done any. Have you ever had a training buddy, somebody who you've done like some running with or bike riding with or something? Yeah, definitely. Bicycling with definitely. Then you become accountable, don't you? They come and knock on the door. Come on, get your bike out. Off we go. Yeah. And you do it, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. More often than not, unless you you know you've got whatever really important reason why you can't uh, why you can't do that. So, so this is where um, have you ever heard of a thing called the Ulysses contract? No, Ulysses. Oh, contract. Ulysses. Now there's a chat we could talk about. Yeah. So Ulysses wanted to hear the sirens call. It's Greek mythology, you know. Um, and um, I think it's the Iliad. It is the Iliad. Was it the Odyssey? I'm not sure. One of them, anyway. Homer. Um, and he, he wants to sail the ship um, and uh, to listen to the sirens and they sing and, and um, imagine like a mermaid and then you take your, your ship to the rocks and it all goes horribly wrong. Um, but he, so what he did was he made a pact with the crew. He said, when we get near the rocks, tie me to the mast because I, I, I can't, I know I'll make a bad decision. I know I won't be able to resist temptation. I know, you know, I know that. So he made a, a the Ulysses pact or contract, call it different things. 
And he said that when this happens, do this to stop me doing something. That's quite cool, isn't it? Yeah. Now that's an explicitly said it. And yeah. I think we can say this with our groups as well. Within our if organization. I'm, yeah. Yeah. If I'm carrying out a behavior that's not in line with our values, tell me. Tell me. And, and do you know what? I, sometimes I might be going down the wrong, uh, wrong road and I need you to help. Because we all get things wrong. Yeah, we do. Well, pressures, life, everything. We can have the best value set in the world, can't we? But as we said just now, we don't live always or we don't always behave in alignment with that. And that Ulysses pact, I could see as being the kind of way that just keeps the ship on the straight and narrow. Definitely. Yeah. It's, re it's really cool, the Ulysses pact. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. I've learned well, something. You know, I'm learning lots on this podcast, Simon. Thank you for this. <laughs> I tell you what, there's lots of wisdom out there, you know, there's new wisdom, there's ancient wisdom, you know, there's some been some some bright ladies and gents out there over the years, haven't they? And, and, and <laughs> yeah. you know, I think uh, that's why I'm, I'm, I, I'm really into my philosophy, because I think there's such a, these people have spent their lives thinking. Hmm. I, I don't do that. You know, I take the dogs for a walk, I have my tea, I get through the day. I, I don't do that. You know, I don't know if everybody else, everybody else might do, and it might be just me, me who doesn't. So learning from them and then thinking, oh, well, yeah, I need to try that. I found that's definitely helped me. Uh, I'm, you know, in no way some kind of wonderful thinking human or whatever, but I'm better than I would have been if I hadn't done it. Yeah, it's lifelong learning again, isn't it? That And that open-mindedness to accept new ideas, new thoughts, and be able to interpret them as to how they relate to you in your world otherwise it could be just academia for the sake of academia couldn't it if you can't relate it to the real world and the present that's you know what's it mean for me yeah and, and yeah. that's we we all do that don't we yeah what does it mean for me yeah. you know yeah How does this so affect me yeah what does it mean what does it mean for me and my family or my life or you know what you know whatever so so yeah i mean um i I don't know. I mean, I try and transfer that into into the way that we we, we do work it out, you know. And sometimes sometimes we get it right, and sometimes we don't. You know, <laughs> simple as that. But ultimately, getting it right is doing what we do in line with how we believe we should be. That's yeah. what right means for us. We may not make any money, but we, we do that sometimes. We go, do you know what? We we haven't thought this through properly, and something's happened. But this is who we are, and if it means we lose money, we'll lose money yeah. because that's who we are, and we just go back to that. And it's so comforting, so helpful. But with that mindset in place, things don't always go to plan, do they? And sometimes, you know, you'll let yourself down, a team member might let you down in the way in which they behave and not in line with values, and for somebody just spending half an hour with you on so far on this podcast in this conversation i would thought that that must hurt when that happens either it's you letting yourself down or a team member letting you yourself down that must hurt how do you deal with that simon um it only hurts if um i value a person's performance rather than i value the person if i value the person first and the performance is something that happens, you know, or doesn't, or whatever that might be. It's called objectification. We do this all the time with humans. 
we value or or or, uh, or don't value humans based on their output. Well, that's what we do with machines. That's not a human. That's not what a human is. No. So uh, we do it. It was World uh, Women's uh, World Women's Day. Sorry if I've got the particular words in the wrong order there, but some International Women's Day. That was it on Monday. And and I think we can all understand, um, or many can understand, um, the idea of obje- objectifying women. So seeing them in terms of their output, you know, and and you know, and I'm not going to go into all that. Karl Marx talked about objectifying the workforce. We objectify our friends. They're good friends if they if they if the output is this. They're bad friends if they do that. Yeah, our kids are good as long as they pass their exams. So we're measuring people's value by their output rather than seeing intrinsic value in their personhood. Look at their personhood first, and then that's the thing you value. And the stuff that comes out the other side, we approach that on a as and when basis. And we say, yeah, I'm happy with this, I'm not happy with that. But it doesn't mean that we um it doesn't mean that we don't value them. And we and and, and that for me is the most important thing. Go back to that. Go back to these solid foundations. Yeah, solid foundations. Yeah, again, and and being true to yourself is something, well, it's important for all of us, but I can see it's something that's deep in your core, isn't it, Simon? Being true to yourself has got to be something that, you know, you value highly. It is. I mean, otherwise, I'm just being, what am I? I have no identity. My identity will change based on circumstances or based on values, which actually are just in, are just instrumental. They're not actually, for me, they're not. I, and I'm not saying everyone else should think the same way because definitely yeah. not. You know, you do what you think. Well, that's I'm quite happy with that. Um, but for me, it, as long as you go back to these things that you believe who you are, uh, do that. And if you find yourself not doing it, remind yourself and then go back to it again, if you can. But okay. look. It's a constant journey of failing, isn't it? Yeah. Well, that's the only way you learn in life, isn't it? Yeah. It's the only way you learn in life. Fail, go again. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Get up, Um, dust yourself off, learn the lessons, and off you go. Yeah. Go again. That's it. Yeah. We, we, you know, and I I don't know if um, this is helpful at all for anyone chatting about it, but um, I don't know. I think most people, if they sat down and thought about it for long enough, would... um, would come up with something similar to that, wouldn't they? About learning from what didn't go well. Yeah. Yeah. So definitely. Yeah, it's when you try and hide the things that don't go well, and when you try and ignore them, that you know things escalate and problems occur, and they they reoccur and reoccur and reoccur, and you you see yourself in that downward spiral, isn't it? So we've all got to learn from our mistakes, and organisations need to accept that mistakes are made and learn from them and change and develop and institutional kind of corruption and all of those kind of things have got to stem from, you know, mistakes being made and people trying to brush it under the carpet. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I, I was a PE teacher in the army and if I put in a, um, a physical training program and people didn't get fitter, well, I better change it because it's working. I better do something different. Yeah. If we turn up to a fire and, and it hasn't, you know, the fire's got out of control or something, well, we better do it different next time, aren't we? Or learn from it, yeah. And so I, I just can, in my mind, I just cannot understand why um, we do something, it goes wrong, we imagine it went right, and then do it again. 
I, I just can't imagine how we might do that. <laughs> I, my brain won't allow me to do, to co compute that. I don't get it. Yeah. Simon on the other end of the call on the video call he's banging his head listeners by the way just <laughs> and I would um I, I would absolutely agree with that could we perhaps move on and just talk about this um subject of mental health and mental health awareness and clearly during this um crisis and the isolation people working from home the challenges and changes people have had to deal with it's it's kind of raised you know it clearly has been something vital and important, you know, from the day of our earliest existence. But it's really something that's on the radar now, um, which has got to be good. So what have you seen the changes from organisations now thinking about mental health, awareness, and well-being within their workforce? Have you seen a dramatic change in people reaching out to talk to you about those things in the last few months? Um, have I seen a dramatic change? We, um, I, I would say that it's, um, I, I would say there are still many businesses who are imagining it doesn't exist. who don't know how to deal with it. So they'll imagine it's not there. There is, uh, I mean, we, you know, we're, we've, we've always been relatively busy, obviously face to face isn't happening, um, from, for some of the training we deliver right now. And it hasn't happened during lockdown and things like that. Um, but we are getting a lot of inquiries about um, uh, mental health training and bookings and things. So I'm not really answering the question. Let me go back to the question again. So have I seen a change? Um, what we uh, what we need to understand here is is training will not necessarily give us what we want. Training is just part of something bigger. There was a chap um, I can't think where I heard this who used the phrase that training is a necessary but not a sufficient so we can train people to be mental health first aiders and you know mental health awareness and that's really good but if the system which that person exists in is a system which is likely to put a person's mental health under strain then whether they've had training or not um it is likely to end up in some adverse on a person's mental health and an interesting point, point to consider here is is all of us will um will react differently under different circumstances so you can never say all people always will behave like this uh not with mental health um and you can say that no people will ever be affected by that so i think one of the problems that we have is we try and deal with mental health in the way that we deal with other things blanket approach we can't because it's an individual experience of that person's existence of the workload of their family life or whatever whatever's all you know gone to make that person them and so what we have to do is we have to create a space where people feel they can say do you know what i'm struggling right now and the group go well thanks for telling us or if we see somebody struggling we go are you okay you know, is there anything I can do to help? And that person, if that person feels safe and secure, they might say, do you know what? I'm finding it really hard. Okay, tell me some more about that. What can I do to help? So we're going to, like we are saying before about objectification, we're going to say, well, what can you do? What do you need rather than um, what can't you do? 
So we tend to focus on what people can't do rather than what they can do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it stems. So it stems back to culture again, doesn't it, Simon? And having that open culture and that that sense of you know everybody valuing each other and everybody wanting to listen. I mean, there was a recent you know we uh, inspire we went through the mind recent time to talk and one individual actually stepped forward and said, it's great. You're following this initiative. I want to step forward and tell my story. And, and it was actually forget an initiative and forget the time to talk piece and the badging. When that individual stepped forward and told their story and their tale about how they had seen mental health issues affect others and them, that opened up dialogue that, you know, would never have happened. But it was creating that sharing environment where people felt safe to share and to talk, isn't it? And I think that's a great first step for any organisation to implement, isn't it? And in, in any relationship, friendships, yeah. family, I don't know, people at work, anybody, if you feel that you can say, listen, pal, this or that, or it's going to give us a better chance, isn't it, than if we can't, if we don't feel comfortable to do that. Having hard conversations about how you're feeling or, you know, plucking up the courage to check in on your mate. I mean, they are hard sometimes. Sometimes you don't want to hear the, the answer if it's an awful answer, you know, or you, you know, sometimes we don't ask questions we don't want to hear the answer to. Um, I haven't got time to deal with the answer, so I won't ask the question. Yeah. So, and I think that sometimes happens. Not everybody, but sometimes. And if... If you are a business owner or a manager of people and you, you sat there and we get back into the work environment and you're having that discussion with a team member, a colleague, and you're concerned about their mental health, you know, just for the listeners, top tips on what the steps they should take? Well, um, I think the first thing is, is, is be led by them. About, I mean, because, you know, it's the same with physical health. I could have a, a slight... Um, you know, uh, achy ankle, or could have a broken ankle, or you know, something even worse. And and uh, the thing with mental health is, it's very difficult for us to to understand their subjective experience of of how they're feeling. So we have to believe what people say. Mm. If we don't believe them, then well, that's absurd. Because I can't understand what it's like being you. I can try, but I don't have your window on the world. I, I just don't. Mm. So I think a starting point is, how are you feeling? Whatever they say is how they're feeling. Exactly. Well, yeah. Yeah. Well, well, it can't be. You've got this. You've got that. What's wrong with you? Pull yourself together. Don't be so daft. Well, it doesn't matter what they've got or haven't got. It's how they're feeling. Mm. Okay. Mm. Well, that sounds that sounds a bit rubbish. Is there anything we can do to help? One of the things that we need to consider here is is that work is actually good for our mental health on most occasions but good work is good for our mental health work which is uh, highly pressurized over a consistent period of time work which is unfulfilling which work uh, working in an environment where we don't feel appreciated or maybe these uh, people um, uh, are feeling bullied and Hopefully that doesn't happen anywhere near as much nowadays or, or some other form of inequality or unfairness. That's not good for us. 
But work where those things don't exist and we do feel cared for and we are doing something that, that we feel has value and we do feel part of a team and, and our contribution will have a positive impact on our mental health. So, yeah, so I think, um, I, I think it has to be led from the person, um, definitely from there. And then businesses will have things like employee assistance programs and, and things like that and um, health health programs and things. Um, and if they, they haven't got them, then obviously we've got our professional services such as the GP. And I, I mean, a person may not need to go and see a GP. I'm not saying all some form of mental ill health needs to go and see the GP. But if it's affecting a person's life to a point where they're difficult to work, uh, find it difficult to work, find it difficult um, to have positive relationships at work and at home um, over a period of time. And sometimes, you know, we, we, we may need a little bit of extra support. We just need to seek help and support, don't we? Yeah. Yeah, sometimes. But, you know, I mean, we're not saying everyone's got to go to the doctor because that's just not true. No. But sometimes um, just having somebody listen and properly listen, listen with some empathy makes a world of difference, doesn't it? It does, yeah. Without somebody trying to fix it, well, I know, let's do this. Right, You, I'll, I'll, I'll sort this out, you sort that, that out. You just want, sometimes we just want, uh, I don't want you to fix it, I just want you to listen. Yeah. That's all I want. So. Brilliant. Um, yeah, I don't know. It, you know what, it's hard understanding anybody else's thoughts, feelings and, and emotions. It's just really hard even if we really try in our best, you know, it can be difficult. Mm. It really Definitely. can. Brilliant. But one of the things I saw on the telly this morning, which I thought was really cool, um, was a thing called social prescribing. And basically what it was saying is that uh, quite a lot of GPs now and mental health professionals are, are saying, uh, uh, signposting people to, uh, to things like uh, ecotherapy, but gardening, walking, uh, groups, you know, befriending, you know, uh, art therapy, things like that, and um, and they they're, they're trying to uh, get people to kind of almost take control of, of the circumstances and and do things that are positive to support their mental health, and I think that's great. I really hope that as um, you know that, that more and more people can you know uh, have the opportunity to go for their walks or their exercise or with their dogs or their family or whatever i just i really hope that that can continue i really do which people who've been furloughed might have had more of that than they've had I didn't more of the opportunity. and that fits really neatly into one last thing i was going to talk to you about which was your uh ouches initiative with the midday mile so do you want to talk about the midday mile and how that could benefit an organization well let's just use a bit of logic here so if i employ somebody okay would I like them to make good decisions? Well, I, I think I would, yeah. I'd like to have the best decision-making available as often as possible, yeah? Okay. Agreed. So if that's our starting point, that's what we want to achieve, we can take a step back now and say, well, what might get in the way of that? Well, we definitely know that when a person has uh, been using their brain, thinking, solving problems, whatever, concentrating for a while, the brain tires and the quality of the decisions 
and the amount of innovative and creative decisions that a person can make reduces. Yeah? yeah. So what do we want to do? So I know let's get them out of their chair. Let's push oxygenated blood around the body to the brain. Let's get outside and do some nature. And when they come back, they make better decisions. Yeah. I want people who make good decisions. So that's why we do it. Brilliant. What a great initiative. Great idea. The midday mile. I love that. Simon, it's been great to have you as a guest on the Evolve to Succeed podcast. If people want to know more about you and more about Ouch Training, where can they go? Well, they could have a look at the Ouch website, uh, Ouch, uh, www and all that, um, Ouch Training, and you'll Google that or whatever and you'll find it. Um, on LinkedIn, I often um, put posts on LinkedIn. Uh, I very rarely give, attempt to give anybody answers. I just pose questions. Do I have a right to be unsafe? Questions like that. Have you got a right to make poor decisions? Things like that. Am I obligated to this? Or what does that mean? You know, I tend to do, I tend to do those kind of things, really. So, uh, so yeah, LinkedIn and all that. And um, what I would like to say as well is anyone who's listening to your show who's got any you know, really good ideas or anything, join join on LinkedIn and let me know them. You know, I'd look, you know, you can't, you can't get too many good ideas, can you? And I'm sure no. lots of your listeners have got some good ones. Yeah, collaboration is brilliant, isn't it? Collaboration changes the world, definitely. It certainly does. I, I agree with you 100%. Brian, Thank you, okay. Simon. Okay, take care, Paul. Some thought-provoking ideas, philosophies and discussions there about morals and principles, especially around how our environment and the people we're around can influence our behaviour and decision-making. I was also interested in the discussions around the effects of remote working and isolation, how it's changed our professional behaviour and affected a team's culture. As a business owner, that has been one of the biggest challenges of the past year, trying to maintain that cohesiveness and team spirit when we're so often been separated and as discussed in this podcast it's all well and good coming up with that set of core values for your organization i like to think about it as your essence your spirit and your beliefs but unless you're making a concerted and regular effort to implement and maintain those values they're not worth the paper they're written on something to really think about if you're a business owner or in any position of leadership if you want to know more about evolve our services that we offer our co-working space in Ashley Cross in Paul, and details of the peer groups that we run, then please do go to evolvemembers.com. I really hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Evolve to Succeed podcast. And if so, please help us by subscribing, rating and reviewing the pod. Till next week, take care, stay safe.